0: This is Annabelle, aka Mary Daniac. I just want to wish all the Bundy fans out there a very happy new year for 2021, and
1: especially you for supporting the Married with Children podcast.
0: Happy New Year, Married with Children podcast fans. And This is your host, Tyler, talking to you about. Uh, this is recording about three or four days. It depends if you count New Year's Eve as the last day, but yeah, about three days left until the new year, 2021, where we're going to go balls deep into season nine of Married with Children and hopefully see a lot more laughs and a lot more fun things happening. I'm super excited, and I think I speak for all when I say, man, I cannot wait until a new year. So until January 1st, I am completely wishing everybody a safe and
2: happy New Year. Hi everyone, Billy Ray Chris here. Just kidding, it's Chris Gunter. I just wanted to say I hope everyone has a happy New Year. I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. And I think I speak for everyone when I say we've really enjoyed uh, working on the podcast uh, the last couple of seasons. And uh, we have some very exciting things ahead for Season 9. And uh, I hope you're all as excited as we are.
3: Hey, this is Stephen with the Married with Children podcast, and I just want to wish everybody a happy new year. Let's hope 2021 turns out to be a hell of a lot better than 2020.
4: Happy New Year from Australia, mates! Well, I just want to wish you all from down here in Perth a very happy 2021, all you Married with Children podcast listeners. I also want to say, becoming a co-host on the Married and Children podcast in 2020 helped make 2020 a bit less bad, or more
0: positively, better than it it was. So it's been an absolute honour working with you all, Um, Anna and I, basically the um, Amazing Australian Alliance. Thank you everyone who's joined us, and I look forward to continuing my podcasting work on the
4: Married and Children podcast in 2021 and 2022. So,
0: once again, Happy New Year and happy listening. Now, hang on a second, where's the nudie bar?
1: This is Luigi. I would like to wish you and all your loved ones a very happy, safe, and healthy New Year. We thank you for continuing to listen to the Married with Children podcast.
3: Hope you can support our Patreon and tell all of your friends
2: who are fans of the show about us. Whoa, buddy. What's up guys, this is Al, the creator of the Married with Children podcast, wishing everybody a very happy new year. 2020 has been a very interesting year for all of us. 2020 started out, uh, myself, Dan, and Jamie doing the Married with Children podcast and having no end in sight until the end of season 11. And due to circumstances, here we are, we have a whole new cast of people as the hosts, they're all doing an amazing job. Great lineup, great mix. These great people kept the show alive. Luigi, I cannot believe what he has taken on and how he's taken it on so well and how he runs things. It's amazing. It, he did not skip a beat with all this. He's organizing all this out and just, he has such a supporting cast with everybody who comes on here and continues this vision. It's really remarkable how quickly they picked up on everything and just moved right along. As for myself, what did I do after I stopped being basically a showrunner and and lead host? What did I do after that? Well, I had an exciting last couple months because starting in October, I decided to film my own um, movie. Nothing major, no big production. I didn't have a lighting crew or a sound crew or a real camera or anything like that. But we made ourselves a little Friday the 13th fan film that uh, I hope everybody who's a horror fan will go to YouTube and check out. It's called Friday the 13th, Nine Lives. So check that out if you want to see me acting and all my friends and uh, Jason. (laughs) Hope you check that out. And I wish everybody a very happy new year. Well, let's just hope in general, the whole world is better off in 2021 and things pick up. I'll see you then. How
1: much is the fine?
4: Well, since you turned yourself in, I think I'll let it go at $100.
1: I see. And what if I said I built it that way just to make you look like an idiot?
4: Then that would be (laughs) $1,500.
1: And, uh, what if we called you a moron to boot? (laughs)
4: $2,000. Are you sure you're not Gary Coleman from Different Strokes? (laughs) (laughs) No, I am not. Good. I hated that show.
5: $5,000.
1: Don't give it to me. That's not my driveway. Now, see, it belongs to those people right next door. But uh, they might not let you in because the only black person they respect is Ted Danson. (laughs)
4: What you talking about, Bundy? Rock. Thanks, Dad.
1: Can I get a weapon?
2: No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast.
0: Welcome to the Merrywood Children Podcast. My name's Tyler. It says so right in Farmer's Iggy's Almanac sow in summer, reap in fall, bury your wife when the wheat gets
3: tall. And who do I have with me today? Well, I'm Steven, and there's probably a lesson to be learned from all of this, but I'll be damned if I know what it is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, such a beautiful line. Always works.
3: By the way, this is Season 8, Episode 16. The director is Gary Cohen. The writers were Catherine Green and Michael Moy. It originally aired on February 6, 1994.
0: Oh, that's right. And the title of this famous episode is called How Green Was My Apple? All right. Well, listeners, welcome back to another awesome week with our wonderful Bundy family. Today, we've got a raunchy tale of property disputes weird guest stars and really interesting special effects that this show is going full whole hog on well steven what did you think about this episode so far
3: okay well it's again a merry melodies or a looney tunes i guess you can call it that because this is uh, probably one of the zaniest of that uh, genre that we have seen so far, because there's an all-out war between uh, the Darcy's and the Bundy's. The sneak
1: attacks.
4: Al Bundy, what do you think you're doing?
3: Going blind if you stand
1: up. The
3: bombings.
1: Are you crazy? Who are you calling crazy, punk? Forget
4: the Hatfields and McCoys. This is the mother of all family feuds.
5: Oh my God,
4: it's Al. He's jacking up the house. And all
5: new
0: Married, Sunday at
4: 9, 8 central.
5: (laughs)
0: and this surprisingly is a title i don't recognize but it is just as lazy as their other ones because it comes from the title of a 1941 drama film and television show how green was my valley like they took one word out <laughs> um, but apparently this whole uh, how green was my valley well, the film tells the story of the Morgans, a hard-working Welsh mining family, from the point of view of their youngest child, Uh, who, how, uh, it's Welsh. I'm gonna butcher these names. Well, who, who lives with his affectionate and kind parents and his five brothers in the South Wales Valley during the late Victorian era? And the story chronicles the life of the Southern Welsh uh, Wales Co-fe- coal fields and the loss of the way of life and its effects on the family. Never saw it. Nope, not one frame. And it totally doesn't sound like this episode, but it does have a hard-working
3: families? Family, maybe? Well, only hard yeah. working at beating each other up and outwitting each other.
0: Oh, they're working hard on that. Yeah. Oh, my God. But the episode um, in question here... It starts off very interesting, Stephen. It starts off with Al not coming home from work and not leaving, but just already at home looking really, really happy. Right?
3: Yeah. For a change, he's happy. I know. But it's going to come to an end pretty soon.
1: Look at her swinging back and forth.
3: (laughs) The way the sunlight hits
1: her skin. I'd sure like to have that in my mouth.
4: (laughs) Al, you are talking about a stupid apple swinging from a tree.
1: You're missing the point, my little lust buster. I didn't even know that was an apple tree. wonder why it suddenly decided to bloom. I've got to quit eating out of that dumpster behind the Mexican restaurant. Honey, why don't you just go buy an apple? Or at least pick that one. It's ripe. No, it isn't, Peg. It says so right here, in Farmer Iggy's Almanac. (laughs) Sow in summer, reap in fall, bury your wife when the wheat gets tall. (laughs) Oh, excuse me, that's his chapter on taters and love.
4: Does it say anything in there like, plant your barley, plant your rye, sell a shoe before you die?
1: No, Peg, it doesn't. You must be confusing that with Farmer Iggy's wife's book, The Useless Crone's Almanac.
0: <laughs> That's right. But, you see, Al's staring at the window, and he's, he's looking out at something very uh, very sexy, something that he just wants to, like, you know, get his hands on, and something that f- could fit perfectly in his mouth.
3: <laughs> well, he's looking at an apple, but the way he talks, you'd think it might be something else. Look at her swinging back and forth. The way that sunlight hits her skin. I'd sure like to have that in my mouth. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> hey, Steven, yeah. check it out. I got her number. <laughs> How do you like them apples?
3: <laughs> oh, boy. Al, <laughs> well, you're talking about a stupid apple swinging from the tree. Peggy reveals what is going on. That he is ogling over an apple. Of course, I guess that makes sense. He is starving.
0: Mm-hmm. But you know, Al's not going to be deterred, Stephen, because he has in his trusty possession the handy-dandy Farmer Iggy's Almanac. <laughs> so, my favorite scenes in the show is when he whips out Farmer's Iggy, Farmer Iggy's Almanac, because it's a really stupid thing from season five, uh, rabbit season, which is... Oh yeah, I was actually on that uh, episode, uh, listeners. I was one of I think it was the second episode I was on, but I had a lot of fun with that. It's a preview of where the sh- show was going to go and where we have landed.
3: And they were just testing the waters with that. So, the best part was Old McBundy had a farm. B U N D Y. And on his farm he had no wife. B U N D Y.
0: With a no wife here and a no kids there, a uh, hooker coming over on the Friday night, big old titties with a beer right there. Old El Bundy had a
3: farm. B U N D Y.
0: This is a, a wonderful bit of continuity because in that uh, season five, Waxy Wabbit, uh, Wabbit season. I see Wabbit. I always say Waskly Wabbit. I don't know why, but yeah, season five, episode eight, Wabbit season. Al is on a mission. <laughs> no, we're going. To, someone is going to sue us if we even start doing that. But um, in that episode, Al is has a literally a nervous breakdown, and the family even realizes to keep them from keep Al from really going off the deep end and murdering everybody in sight. Al should have a hobby, and he gets himself a farming job, and antics uh, (laughs) ensue for the entire episode. But that was the beginning of Farmer Iggy's Almanac, and it's a wonderful bit of continuity that I'm very happy that they decided to bring back. We move the story along because Al is very hungry, and he is getting ready really hard to eat that apple. He is just ready for it.
1: Guess I'll go outside and be alone with my apple. I'll just be here with my Oprah. You know, I wish my apple would grow as fast as your Oprah.
4: My husband pays too much attention to me. He's always wanting sex. What should I do? Send him over here.
1: Peg, my apple's gone. This neighborhood's going to hell. First a double homicide, and now this. I think there might be a connection I think there's a cereal harvester at work here
4: Oh, Al, tell me you're not calling Police! Well, at least don't tell him that you're...
1: Al Bundy here I'd like to report a missing apple No, not some stupid computer I'm talking about a fruit I know it's not a donut, but it's important to me He's transferring me to the chief of stolen produce
0: Hey, guys
3: it disappears and somebody else gets it a few minutes later Jefferson walks in eating the apple
0: and you know what I when I started watching the episode Stephen, I totally thought Buck was going to eat the apple because once I saw the title I was like oh it's about the stupid apple and because somebody eats it and I just had this image in my head Buck had to eat it but no it's Jefferson Buck was responsible in a different way
1: this Lieutenant Granny Smith? Wait a second. You sound like that Officer Jalopy I talked to when I called to report the Dodge missile. Okay, that's it. I'm calling the mayor. Uh, who is the mayor? McCheese. Okay, you're in trouble now, buddy. I voted for him.
3: They say you can't fight City Hall. Lieutenant Granny Smith... (laughs) <laughs> okay so this entire uh,
0: phone conversation um this all right so we have lieutenant granny smith and then they're like that sounds like a lot like the officer jalopy i talked to when i called to report my dodge was missing and for you listeners who are not over 50 a jalopy is an old car in a dilapidated condition very old term and then, uh, but, but then he's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to call the mayor.
3: <laughs> mayor McCheese is the mayor of McDonaldland. And I remember when those commercials were going on with Mayor McCheese and the Hamburglar and Grimace. That was back in the 70s. Who's our McFadrit hamburger clown? Hey,
4: Professor, what's up? I invented a new way to call my friends to dinner. It's called the Dinner Gong. Your new invention? What? Here, let me try it. Oh, my. It doesn't work. Here. I think I got it figured out. Oh, my intention.
1: Don't worry, Professor. We'll fix it. Now. <laughs>
5: famous invention
4: calls
1: for dinner at a world famous
4: restaurant, McDonald's.
5: You know. It's fun to have dinner at McDonald's. Where else would we have gone? Gone? <laughs> I don't get it, you know. I got it. Where else would we have gone? <laughs> That's funny, you know.
0: I was three the last time I saw mention of mayor mccheese and it was in a 1993 commercial campaign where the hamburglar was getting arrested for stealing and grimace was he was the one testifying and mayor mccheese pardons the hamburglar and the hamburglar becomes friends and they were just like, welcome back, you fat little kids. Come and eat some McDonald's. <laughs> it worked on me. <laughs> and I
3: find it interesting because Al says that he voted for Mayor McCheese. But the last time Al voted that we know of, he just voted against the beer sales tax at Chicago Wine Party.
0: It when Jefferson walks in wearing what I think to be a two-thirds of a Canadian tuxedo. He's wearing it like James Dean would wear his leather jacket. Like, he's got the, he's got the, the buttons on the co, on the, uh, arm collar area unbuttoned and flared up. He's got, he's got that jean shirt tucked into them jean pants and,
2: man, I wish I could
0: pull off jeans like Ted, Ted McGinley. Man. He's a really good looking man. Like, I'm always impressed when he shows up wearing those insanely, what my mom would call tacky clothing. But he looks good. Oh, yeah.
3: Like I said, he's so photogenic. Him, he's a face man.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, he's munching on Al's apple. And it's so great because if it was, every once in a while, Jeffersons acts as stupid as Al. But deep down, he's smarter than Al. And a little more like Marcy than he wants to believe. Because when he's munching on that apple and he just goes, I don't want to spoil my appetite. Rows it out the door. Right after Al goes, that's my apple. He knows exactly what he's doing the entire time. Oh yeah,
3: Jefferson is a born schemer. He's a born con artist.
0: But he's just being a dick right now. His
3: M.O. is picking up for himself.
0: I have a theory that he wants to be friends with Al, and he considers Al a friend, but he's also terrified of Marcy, and turned on by her. I think anytime Jefferson comes over and immediately starts making fun of Al, or doing what he's doing with that apple, like today, I think that means Jefferson just had insanely good sex with Marcy, and she just whispered sweet nothings into his ear that was like, you know, you're so much better than Al, why don't you just go? You know, rip him a new one. Hash, go show it off, big boy. And then he's like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mars. I'm going to go do it now. And then he just goes over and starts ripping on Al. And then when that, you know, afterglow wears off, and then he remembers where he is in life, <laughs> he's like, you know what, Al, you're my buddy again. I came up with this as a joke, but now that I'm more, I think about it, I think we have to look out. For yeah, Steve. because
3: Marcy can't stand out, She really can't and what better way to get at him than to work and turn his best friend against him
0: yeah and that's the thing like the show this is something that we don't touch on too often but the dynamic of the show is very simple in the idea that it's men versus women but sometimes it's family versus family siblings versus adults there's a lot of verses in this show and depending on what the plot wants at the time With only, like, I think three scenes in the entire show's history, do you see Marcy and Al actually getting along or working together? And if they are, it's in very, very nihilistic ways. So, yeah, just, just things I've been pointing out, because this is a return to a good old-fashioned, you know, Jeffersons versus Bundys, and we get down into that, Stephen, with this whole
3: property. Right, map. and and also there is this reference to a whole week old Winkle. of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends. Starring the jet-age Jerry ace, Rocket J. Squirrel and his pal, Bullwinkle the
2: Moose.
4: Hi, glad to see you again.
2: Likewise.
4: we. We got some great things on the show today.
2: Like what, like what?
4: Well, you ought to know, Bullwinkle. You're in some of them. Well, let's get started.
0: That went right, like, past me. I didn't... I so don't give a crap about Rocky and Bullwinkle. But for those of our listeners who do care about Rocky and Bullwinkle, Rocky and Bullwinkle was a Hanna-Barbera cartoon um, from airing from about 1959 to 1964 on the ABC network. It stars Bullwinkle J. Moose and his little squirrel buddy Rocky and the rest of their friends. And their adventures are often called... The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. But there are other characters involved in their show. It was very... Eclectic
3: uh, Actually, it was more like a specific show, like Fractured Fairy.
0: Yes, something like that. It, It was meant for... I think you and me would have watched them as full episodes i'm doing air quotes around episodes but i think they were originally created to be like little tiny vignettes that would be inserted before and after the large cereals in between commercials to keep
3: children's attention and on top of that those uh, particular rocky and bullwinkle were more for adults in that era i just thought of another one peabody and sherman where they would travel through time Hi, yeah, you, mr peabody you know the dog and they had a time machine and i forgot what his that boy's name was
0: uh it's tommy or billy or bobby or some dumb name like that he's an idiot uh he's he's the loser you're supposed to love the talking dog and the kid's a loser but wasn't there also a canadian one was it uh he was a he was a ranger a dudley Mountie. i think dudley do right which you know what i have actually fond memories of dudley do right because i canadian humor really funny. <laughs> uh, Canadians like to make fun of themselves a lot. Uh, I guess
3: you could say that's a callback. to. I forgot what episode it was when Kelly had uh, Dudley Do-Ride in her head.
0: Snidely Whiplash, unhand that horse. Snidely Whiplash, that was from Wacky Races, though. Well, Wacky Dudley Races Do-Right.
3: was Anna barbera Oh, yeah, but that's
0: like saying, hey, it's Fred Flintstones and Yogi Bear. No, they ain't gonna meet each other. Fred Flintstone would eat him. Right.
3: And <laughs> but you're right. They all came from the great
0: Hanna-Barbera wheelhouse. Yeah,
3: George Jetson meets Fred Flintstone.
0: We did that in a terrible movie.
3: The one that always bugged me was Christmas with the Flintstone.
0: Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, there are, are, are two different Christmas Flintstone specials, and one of them I hold to be one of the most best animated Christmas stories ever. The other one's garbage. So which one are you about to hate?
3: I I can't remember which one it was. I only saw it once. But I remember thinking to myself, the Flintstones, living in prehistoric times. Mm, okay, yeah, well, okay, first you gotta suspend your
0: disbelief. Christmas is magical time for everybody, including caveman Stephen. It doesn't matter if they don't believe it. It just matters that they're there. <laughs> but I think the one you are talking about is where Fred Flintstone becomes Santa Claus for a night Because Santa likes balls, and he has to take up the job being Santa. But Fred also agreed to play Santa at the Christmas party. Why? Because of my glowing personality? No, because you're fat!
3: I think that's the one you're talking about. That's the about. one I remember. Yeah.
0: Okay. It's. It, I loved it when I was six because it's made for for babies. You're absolutely right. Like I, I wasn't questioning why are cavemen why, like, celebrating Christmas? Why do cavemen have cars? Why do they have phones? How's that TV working, Steven? Shut up. Um, but um, but no, the one that I love, and I I want all of our listeners to post this on the Facebook page if they have fond memories of this too. Flintstone's Christmas Carol. It is a wonderful retelling of Charles Dickinson's work. Very hauntingly beautiful and made me actually ask a teacher to read us the actual Christmas Carol book in our school because I loved that uh, special so much. So I definitely recommend anybody if they have fun memories of that share it around share clips or tons of clips on YouTube. It's a fun little adventure, but, uh this is not a Flintstones podcast, Stephen. This is a Mary with Children's
3: one. Yeah, so, we we'll probably uh, <laughs> need to talk about Al, Peg, and the and the Darcys.
0: Let's see, but yes, um, we've got a dispute. So Jefferson, which I totally believe still that he did this on purpose, makes makes it his stance that the tree, which is on the Bundy's property that we're talking about bared the fruit off of a branch that hung over his property. Mm -hmm. Which Al even reminds him that he has no property. His (laughs) wife has some property, including him.
3: (laughs) Oh, Oh God, that was a good slam.
0: So emasculating. Like, no, if you're married, all in trust. (laughs) Did we ever ask this? Was there a prenup involved with their marriage? I seriously doubt it. I don't know. Drunk Marcy can be very efficient. <laughs> but she <laughs> held a gun to his head. You say it! And then we'd marry. <laughs> but um, anyway, But so we're going to assume no prenup. So Jefferson definitely does have rights over that property. Now, this is actually a real thing that probably happened sometime in America 300, 400 years ago. But when property lines are drawn up, and to this day it you can like see it on a map that the city that technically owns your property that you're on that you own from them, they have it surveyed. They have it drawn to the foot.
3: I thought they, I thought Al was gonna ask fifty people and Jefferson would ask fifty. Not that survey you nitwit. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, uh, but, uh, but it no ways, dip, but anyway, yeah, double dip,
0: I, you know what I wrote down double dip and I was staring at the words double dip and I said, nitwit. I don't know why, but, um, uh, but yes, yeah, so the survey thing is actually real and it's brought up in actual law classes. I remember in civics classes was brought up. Uh, a yeah, whole classroom have, argument yeah,
3: happened. I have a friend of mine who does surveys for uh, I think Tulsa County or yeah, it must, it's Tulsa County. I went to high school with him. He worked in the oil fields for a long time and he decided to switch over. But you know, yeah, they do surveys all the time. You see him out near a highway or near an intersection with a strange looking device on a tripod and they are surveying the land and uh, determining uh, property lines or street lines or whatever kind of lines you want to get into
0: they're drawing up the maps that google maps has when you pull them up how big the streets are, where these stores are, where these bisections are when you see satellite images. Those satellites aren't just taking snapshots. They're taking three-dimensional images of the land, corroborating it with the measurements that these people are taking at ground level and putting it together. So we still use the same kind of surveying you know, the form that they're talking about. And this is some serious stuff. Like, yeah. people out there, if you own property... Let's say you own, an, I do half an acre, which is, you know, pretty big, way bigger than the Bundys or an average yard land, but conceivably owned. And let's say there's a huge, I don't know, natural gas deposit five to nine hundred feet below the ground, and it actually encompasses the entire forest that your property borders. Well, the forest is the city's property, so they buy the gas from the city. Oh, wait, Stephen... There's huge layers of bedrock a quarter mile thick all around this gas, except for one little tiny half an acre size. And that little acre size, where they can get at, is your property. Now, even though they own all that gas, they can't get at it, and you now, well, my little property that I paid about hmm, $50,000 for, I think I'd like $50 million.
3: Well, you know, and also with property, there are, there's a difference between property rights and mineral rights, at least in my mm-hmm. state, because that's always Unless to you intention. Spe- oh, uh, Michigan, you have to
0: specify. If you don't specify mineral rights, as far as I know around here, anyway, um, if you don't specify your mineral rights, um, it's it, you don't you only own claim of the ground above. You have to. Re- you have to specify that you are purchasing mineral rights as well. Because if you do, then you're saying, Well, we need to get a you know, inspection done of the land to see if there are minerals below it. But that's only at the seller's request. You can be like, Well, I'm pretty sure there's no gold under here. So here you go. And hope to death that your laziness to sit and quickness to sell doesn't mean you lost out on a possible fortune.
3: Yes. And, but
0: all this is real, though, so...
3: Uh-huh. Uh, I'd like to ask for our podcasters to please wake up. We'll probably get on to some more interesting issues. Well,
0: you know what? I find this stuff interesting because I'm not a homeowner, but I've often thought of owning land at some point, and these are things that are, you know, flowing through my head, you know? I mean, I was... Where do you come across this, Stephen? Let's say it right now. Right now, Alan Jefferson's uh, little debate. Who's right?
3: I think Al's right. It's on the trees on his property, and that includes the fruit of that tree. The but rooster. that branch
0: extends onto Jefferson's property. It doesn't and matter. It's the,
3: part of the tree that's on Al's property.
0: But Al, as the owner of that tree, is responsible for maintaining the integrity of the objects on his lawn. And any kind of things that are jutting off of it, he is responsible for cutting down. If he doesn't cut those things down, then those things become responsibility of Jeffersons. By Al not doing anything about it and not a picking that apple or taking sawing that tree off, so that branch off. Jefferson gets it. I don't see it that way. Wake up, audience members. I'm telling you, this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I was like, I was, I came to the conclusion, Jefferson's right, but he's an asshole. So, <laughs> I think Jefferson, Jefferson, I don't think Jefferson is right but I think his claim would hold up in
3: court. Well, that's for the courts to decide and a judge to decide.
0: But they're not going to do that, Stephen. The courts and the judge aren't going to order that. You know what they're going to do? We need a survey done. And they must have sent the best surveyors they could because, dun-dun-dun, the great and powerful guest stars,
3: um... Danny Bonaduce.
4: That surveyor really looks familiar.
2: Now, as I said... When parcel A and parcel B were divided up originally, the records were destroyed by fire. But we do know that...
4: The little Partridge boy. (laughs) Al, doesn't he look exactly like Danny Partridge?
1: Peg, please, there's an apple at stake here.
4: He does.
2: Well, I'm not. Now, as I was saying, the land was originally Indian land. Actually, it was Indian land fill. It's where they threw their rotting moccasins. Now, it's because of that that the real property line becomes very irregular. And stinky. So, who does the apple tree really belong
1: to?
4: Does it really matter? The important thing is that we're neighbors, and we must get along.
2: Well, in answer to your question, the tree belongs to the Darcy's.
4: Yes! <laughs> hey, are you sure that you are?
2: Yes, I'm sure. I've never been so sure of anything in my entire life.
3: And he is... His first major role was uh, Danny Partridge on The Partridge Family. He was one of those uh, tragic lives, though. Uh, a little bit about him. Now, wait. Danny
0: is the one staring at the poster at the beginning of the scene, right? He's yes. not the big fat guy that no, walks in no, after. No no, right? no,
3: no, 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 Danny Bonaduce was born August 13, 1959 in Philadelphia as Dante Daniel Bonaduce. And he is known for the Partridge Family, Charlotte's Web, an animated show. He was also a record in the 70s shows. And he has been married to Amy Railsback since November 22, 2010. But he was also previously married to Gretchen Bonaducci. Actually, if I remember correctly, let's see here. I think he had, um, yeah, he had three spouses. His first. He one had how many? Three, three or 30? Three spouses. Okay. His first one, I guess, was, I don't know how to say her name, said Tusco Hattori from 1985 to 1988 that didn't last long then it was de Gretchen 1990 to November 5th, 2008 they had two uh they were divorced they had two children that played out on a reality tv show called Breaking Bonaduce that was popular back in the uh, 2000s I think that was on VH1 and he's been married to Amy Railsback since uh, 2010 uh, a little bit more trivia about him he was a, He went to high school with Michael Jackson and Christian Brando. Holy crap, what a
0: high school lunchroom that must have been.
3: Yeah, uh, during auditions for the Partridge family, there were two different Partridge families. Danny was in the family that did not get hired for some reason. So, kind of weird. Best known these days as a motormouth radio DJ. Uh, On top of that, he studied martial arts under Chuck Norris for over 20 years. He appeared oh, in Wow. Uh, yeah, he appeared in 8 episodes of Chips. He holds a black belt in the following martial arts: Okinawan Ch- Chian Ryu, Taekwondo, Tokyo Ryu, Ryu Shorin-ryu, and Shorin-ryu. He won the 1980 and 81 International Championships. And he is ranked number 10 as VH1's list of the 100 greatest kid stars. And he was so broke in the 80s that he had to live out of his car near a dumpster. And he would pose with pictures with fans during the day and sleep in his car at night. He changed his life when he um, gave up drinking, lost a lot of weight, and that's when he turned his life around. And the actor he was highly influenced by was Shirley Jones, who played Mother Partridge. Ah, so now
0: where in uh, Badanucci's life would you say he got into the job of being a surveyor?
3: I don't know. But then again, because, this is a guest spot. <laughs>
0: well, no, no, no. Stephen, these these are not just guest spots. Um, audience members, if you've actually watched the episode before our podcast, and I hope you have, I think you'll pick up on something. There's some weird deadpool meta stuff going on here because they don't treat these... This isn't Danny Bonaducci playing a surveyor. They're acting like this is Danny Badaducci... In, of the Partridge family in their living room, pretending to be a surveyor. And he seems very angry every time they bring it up. <laughs> uh,
3: in all honesty, he had to deal with a lot of anger growing up. Uh, oh, he was man. addicted to cocaine and alcohol. His father was abusive. Actually, and unfortunately, Hollywood is... You know, a dirty secret of Hollywood is that there's a lot of pedophilia out there. Mm, Pedophiles, I, you know, because not, uh, child actors and child stars.
5: Yes. Uh,
3: I don't want to go too much into that, but uh, in any case, uh, Danny Bonaduce. This is when he really. This is about the time of year when he started to really bounce back, because the not, early '90s was when he got his, his act cleaned up, when he quit co- drinking and quit cocaine. And he also did a lot more radio DJ stuff. Uh, okay. Altogether, well, he has 56 acting credits. Oh, well, that's more than I
0: expected. And he did but start so, with
3: Mark Ham- co-star with Mark Hamill in 1978's Corvette Summer.
0: Oh, my God. I haven't seen that in at least 10 or 12 years when I was getting into Star Wars for the first time and just trying to see everything Mark Hamill played in. But I remember it not being that good.
3: And I think you recently put up on Facebook, you know, you put all your movies, movies number or whatever, of one called H-T-O-S, HOTS. He was in that one, too.
0: Okay. that That's why this guy looks so damn familiar. He was, yes. I watched, uh, yes, that movie was very hard to find. Bless you, Daily Motion, and your very strange VHS transfers are somehow allowed to be there. But, yes, a very... Very funny '80s boob comedy that is exactly what the genre says it is. I think that was um, more
3: in the '70s, but uh, anyway, uh,
0: uh, it was '81, 80, I believe, or '82.
3: '81, okay. Well, uh, I'll take your word for any, it.
0: But yeah, they all look '70s as hell, so I get why you, why you would think
3: that. I remember that um, movie. My dad had this, uh, you know, porn channel, you know, early cable channel back in the early '80s, and I remember seeing that one
0: what porn site would have a video of a woman skydiving naked out of a plane and landing in a swimming pool? Well,
3: you like, got to remember that was tame porn back then. <laughs> I don't see anything tame
0: about it. Like, well, that's it's, pretty badass.
3: It's, <laughs> yeah, it was a channel. I think it was called Escapade. Eventually it became the Playboy Channel.
0: Yeah. The um, <laughs> when When the episode airs, I'll try to remember to possibly... Look up the secret because the show the movie's called h period o T. period s and
3: what does it like, stand for? do you remember
0: oh my god it, they they fuck around with it so much like Help first it was like out the seals no no that's what they say at the beginning at the end it's their names
3: Hillary and something
0: hillary or or, or orman. Th- Thelma and Susan. Well, it was th- really stupid, I th- but I, was
3: I Sam. But anyway, I... oh Sam, yeah, you're yeah. right. Th- oh, but it's really
0: awesome. They're like, they have a still up in their attic. This is their the sorority has like a still up there in a bathtub. They're they're making moonshine. It's awesome. But uh, no, 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 no. That's a different podcast. So, but um, real quick, so Danny,
3: t- I just checked. It was 1979.
0: Okay, so miss the 80s, by a mustache hair. Buy a okay, mustache hair, it. yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> so yes, Daniel
0: Adducci, at some point in his life, must have done a lot of drugs and got into really in trouble in Chicago and got in front of a judge. The judge's like, pay up. He's like, I don't got no money. They're like, well, you're going to do a civil service job. And what do we got? All right, surveyor. And the first job he's got the Bundys. And it's a weird one, because what he's got is like the map of the Bundy and Jefferson's houses and their property. Uh And basically he says, it was an indigenous person's landfill. It's where they would throw their rotting moccasins. (laughs) I'm comfortable with that one. That's great. That is so wonderful, because you know what? Wherever you are, at one point there was probably people living where you're living and there might be a chance that where you're living once was a landfill. And I find that cool that if that's actually in a record book somewhere, yeah, where you're, where you guys raise a family, sit down and eat and have children and stuff. Yeah. That's where we used to dump our trash. (laughs) Uh, It's perfect for the Bundys. But because of that, um, weird Indian land, I mean, indigenous people's land, the real property line is irregular. And that's the closest they're going to talk to is the word irregular. And they leave this map apparently with the Bundys and the Jeffersons. And this becomes like the, the pretty much the magical map that will allow the characters to do whatever they want. Because basically, anytime um, the Bundys or the Jeffersons throw out that they own land, um, they own a part of the land, like, this part of the yard is ours. Okay, well, you know what? I'm looking at the map and it says this driveway is ours. Okay, well, this part of this place is ours. And well, but before Don, before Danny can leave, though, we have another guest quote-unquote guest star who makes a really, really quick appearance. (laughs) Let's go!
2: Let's go, Danny. We gotta be in Pittsburgh by midnight. Come on, get happy.
0: Dave Madden. Yes. They popping in to say we gotta go to Pittsburgh by midnight. Come on, get happy. Uh, Even I got that. Yes, I got that one. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Uh, Throw fears away, da 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 da. Yeah, I even I recognize that one.
3: And Dave Madden, a little bit about him. He was born in on December seventeenth, nineteen thirty-one. He was an actor best known for *The Partridge Family* and *Charlotte's Web*, which was also with Danny Bonaducci. He died January sixteenth at the in twenty fourteen. He has thirty six acting credits. He did work in TV for a while probably most notably other than uh, the Partridge family was in Alice and quite often and this was the, what was cool I thought about this particular um, celebrity guest appearance is that uh, mr. Kincaid and Danny Partridge were often paired together because they had this little friction going between them Danny always wanted the family to get more of the money make sure that Kincaid got less of the money than what a manager truly deserved. Oh.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this would be uh man, imagine if we got Danny Bannucci um uh, on for an interview to explain how the heck they reached out for the, to like the old Partridge family guys to come in on, a, on an episode and play a weird role.
3: Were they famous
0: at that point? Like with these I I mean I guess so. That audience went ape shit when they appeared, so
3: Well, of course you got fanboys and especially with television you're going to have those people. Uh, something I want to also share about, he used to be great friends with Shirley Jones, who played Shirley Partridge, until he started a feud with her husband. Uh, maybe her Oh, husband. wow. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. He died, and he died the same day as Russell Johnson, the man who played the professor on Gilligan's Island.
0: And you know what? Maybe for a Patreon exclusive in the future, you and me will do a deep dive into the history of the Partridge family,
3: because it sounds
0: very fascinating.
3: There was one uh, Partridge family member. He was the youngest, and he was, uh, I can't remember his character name, but there were two different actors. The original actor was fired. Hmm. Wow.
0: But until we do that possible episode, let's move on out uh, with, uh, I'm sorry, before we do that uh, little history and the Partridge family in the future, let's get back to our uh, happy little episode. And who's happy? Well, Marcy. Because according to the surveyors, the tree specifically is on uh, the Darcy's property. We move on towards Jefferson and Marcy, you know, celebrating the good old fashioned way, doing it Adam and Eve style. Yeah.
1: I think that since our fence line has never been challenged before, the next apple that grows on that tree should be mine.
4: (laughs) Sorry, Al. You heard what the man said.
1: (laughs) You mean to tell me you're going to believe what a crazy surveyor in a psychedelic bus says?
2: (laughs)
4: Look, Al, we agreed to abide by the results of the survey, and the survey says that the tree is ours. That's right. What's your'n is your'n, and what's our'n is our'n. Now, if you'll excuse us, we have a little apple celebrating to do, Adam and Eve style.
1: I wish there was something that I could do.
4: Oh, Al, just forget
1: about the tree.
4: And why don't we do something Adam and Eve style?
1: That's a good idea, Peg. You put a fig leaf over your face and give me back my rib.
4: (laughs) Uh, Well, here's to our new tree. What should we call it? How about firewood? (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty of the law, Jefferson. It makes ownership specific and unquestioned. I think that's what our ancestors had in mind when they massacred the Indians and wrote the Bill of Rights. (laughs) 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 Al Al Bundy, what do you think you're doing?
1: Going blind if you stand up. (laughs)
4: Look, Al this happens to be a private party so we'd appreciate it if you get out of our yard
1: but this isn't your yard if you had read your map a little more carefully you would have seen that this property belongs to me welcome to Bundiana.
0: <laughs> next thing they're in a hot tub naked which that is implied they're naked in there and they're enjoying sometimes and Apparently, Amanda Burse on a 2019 panel with Ted McGinley said that this spa scene was one of her least favorite, and it shows. There's a
3: line in there. I think that's what our ancestors had in mind when they massacred the Indians and wrote the Bill of Rights. That always just burns my ass. You know, I taught history. I have a master's in history. That's not exactly what happened. Did, we, did Europeans screw the Indians? Yes, they did. They kept shipping them off to other lands, changing the rules and shipping them off to others. The Indians fought back. The, the federal government fought back and basically won because they had the guns, the germs, and the steel. So that's just my little gripe. You can cut that out later if you want to.
0: Oh, no, no, no. Stephen, I don't want to cut that out at all. I just want to put a clarification on that because it is a very sensitive topic, which is why I wasn't trying to be a, a, you know, a jerkster earlier when I was using the term indigenous people instead of uh, the term Indian. I would have uh, said the word Indian when I was quoted if I had done the quote that you had done for Marcy because that was totally in the time period to talk like that. But it's uh, it was a hell of a belief. I remember thinking that when I was, you know, a very very young kid. Like we came over from Europe and we destroyed the 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 Indians and we took their land from them. Which you're right is not true. Most of it was bought legally and traded and cohabitated. The the term that I just want to point out that our podcast does not at all under, undercut the uh, horrible irresponsibility that the American government in its history has done towards the indigenous people, which they were. They have been very mistreated. Their land that should be theirs is not uh, treated fairly. They are not recognized as they should be according to what their laws say. And there's been a big history of mistreatment and mistrust between the two. In
3: factors. 19, I believe it was 1921, the Supreme Court ruled that Native Americans or Indians were citizens of the United States. I always thought when I read about this, I was thinking to myself, that is so hypocritical, at least, and so arrogant, at worst.
0: How do you tell another people what citizens they are of? You know what I mean? It's not like they were asking. Folks. And I do like
3: to point out a couple things. Sorry to bore you with a little bit of history, but you know I, I miss teaching it. I used, I teach English now. I, I no, don't mind stuff it, is I, important, I, but I prefer What's... history. But here is the thing: Europe did have a population problem. They had a lot of people jammed into, a, you know, a ti- you know, really tiny land masses. When they built their cities, quite often they would put their trash just behind their buildings wherever they were living, you know, and that included their waste. And so, you know, there were a lot of outbreaks of uh, different types of diseases. So they had a natural immunity to a lot of those diseases. The Native Americans or the Indians, they quite often built their latrines about a half mile away from camp. They were very clean people. As a matter of fact, when the Pilgrims came over, the Indians tried to convince the Pilgrims to take a bath. I digress.
0: Oh yeah, cholera, dysentery, yeah. Um, so when the uh, mayfly fever, all of that.
3: Stuff. Yeah, when the English, so when the uh, Europeans came over, they brought those diseases with them, and the Indians just didn't have a national immunity. Also, there were five civilized tribes. I'm from Oklahoma, so I know about this, and we had the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek. Uh, Seminole
0: We've got the Iroquois, Saginaw, Chippewa, Cayuga, and uh, but yeah. So there. But here's the uh, thing.
3: Here's the thing I want to point out is that uh, the five civilized tribes of Oklahoma adopted the adapted the white man's ways. That included slavery, Mm -hmm. and a lot of Cherokees and Choctaws, for example, owned slaves. Well, not a lot of them, but you know. The wealthy ones did. They brought their slaves with them. So when the Civil War broke out, many of the Native Americans in Oklahoma sided with the Confederacy. Not just because they owned slaves, but also because they equated the Union with the federal government, which screwed them. They signed some treaties, rewrote the laws, forced them to relocate. There was a lot of bitterness there.
0: Thank you. First off, thank you very much, Stephen, for all of that. Wonderful history, and I could we could go on for hours about this because uh, listeners, if you don't know, I'm studying to become a history uh, history teacher myself, American history teacher actually, probably colonial time as well. So this is going to this is also in my oeuvre, But I want to just you know sum it all up with saying that we I think we believe that Marcy's line is the writers recognizing that the education of the populace of the country and their ideas about Native American history and the relation to them. I think it was common knowledge at the time that white man came, murdered Indians, took land illegally. I think that's the leading consensus you would get from most people. Do you agree, Stephen?
3: Uh, Yes. And I always like to say there was plenty of land for everybody.
5: We just couldn't
3: learn to share.
0: I mean, New York was a disgusting piece of crap. The Native Americans laughed when we took it. They're like, "Why would you want this stinky, nasty harbor?"
3: And to think, you know, yeah, yeah. it makes sense. And Native Americans, they had their own tribal conflicts as well. Uh, fought with each, fought with other tribes. Sometimes they would conquer another tribe and make them slaves. So, you know, people, Hmm. and this is going to go to. Something I'm gonna say at the end when we kinda of wrap up this episode on a certain theme I kinda of saw and how I when I saw this uh episode in a new light. Oh yeah, and
0: absolutely, and I'm not going to cut a single word of this stuff, Stephen, because unlike our four way into the Partridge family and Rocky and Bullwinkle Well that's
3: important this too. Is,
0: <laughs> I mean it, that is important, but unlike those two those those were tangents, Stephen. Fun tangents and important tangents, but this is not a tangent because this has to go land, uh, uh, ownership, warring between factions that are neighboring together. This has to deal with the episode in question, and it really hits home, or should I say, Al hits home when he smashes through Marcy and Jefferson's fence completely (laughs) and says, Welcome to Bundiana, which... (laughs) It is one of my now super favorite iterations on the word bundy. To bundiana and the flag is a dirty white vest tied to a broom.
5: Ah,
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's right. Our barbecue is on their property. how much that apple tree meant to you, it would be wrong of us to keep it. So we'll give you your tree back in exchange for our barbecue.
1: Tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a part of your barbecue back.
4: Behavior from the mud people, but I'm surprised you're out here supporting this outrage. Well, I'm really sorry, but it's not often Al offers to take us on a family picnic.
5: <laughs>
1: no need to apologize, is there, Marcy? After all, what's ourn is ourn, and what's yourn is yours.
4: Excuse me, Ma. <laughs> uh, excuse me but uh, these are ours not anymore some never were
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't worry dear I'll take care of
4: this mm-hmm. Bedroom door I saw him making love not only to a woman but uh what happened? What happened? Sorry Peggy but uh, your cable line seems to have passed through our property
5: <laughs> well, They killed Oprah <laughs>
1: now, look what would you have done to my wife? Don't you realize without cable TV? You wanna to talk to me now! Well, you
4: should have thought of that before you stole our barbecue.
1: Two can play at this game. Get out of my way, gluteus minimus! Hey, that's our phone line! It's on my property.
0: <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah. it's it's really it's really, really funny. And you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna sum up the rest of the scene pretty quickly because one of the the best we got to move forward and the best stuff is yet to come. Well, wait a so second! I,
3: I got to bring this up real quick. Amanda, Beers, I know what you're gonna
0: bring up. Amanda yes, Bierce,
3: Okay, he's probably in the most awkward position, as well as uh, Ted McGinley. because <laughs> yes. they're naked and they're even though these are friends, you know, you don't want to be in a situation like that. That is just so uncomfortable. And I was wondering, have you ever been... I've been in a situation like that. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I have.
0: I have been in a situation like this, Steven. Not in a hot tub, but in a situation similar to this. In a boat. Docked. And everyone's like, come on, get out, you two. And I'm like, we'll be right there. They're like, we can wait for you. No, it's fine. You sure we're fine? No <laughs> way. <wait. laughs> I'll just let the imagination leave it to that. A quick question about this, because there's a lot of cool sets. We're jumping between in this episode. We're jumping between different parts of the of the Darcy's and Bundy's residence. And one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of physicality going on here. And I'm trying to figure out. Well, obviously Tim McKinley's must be wearing a bathing suit, and they probably Marcy, are. Marcy. Yeah. Marcy, I don't know what Marcy's wearing. It must be like a television bathing suit because the way she's sitting, it looks like she is really topless. Like a little a little more skin. Even, it's just a, really interesting that they were able to show that primetime television. Even the insinuation showing that much of a woman's upper, you know, chest area, which, like, obviously it's nothing to me now, but might have been a little shocking back then, you know? To see that on television, just that yeah, we're at like eight p.m. or something. Well, I mean, you
3: saw a lot worse. I mean, get back in season three, and uh, her cup runneth over. You got a girl taking off her bra in front of Al, and you can see some side boob. Oh, in but the, but those are but those are
0: eye candy girls that are brought on to be looked at. This is Marcy. I just find yeah. it that that's uh, that's what. One I'm of my
3: favorite up. lines in there. She says, "Al Bundy, what do you think you're doing?" And he says, "Going blind if you stand up." <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> undercutting it
0: like i have to feel like that was ed o'neill either trying to take the uh tension out of the uh, air because you're right it is a very tense like almost un very super awkward because david faustino bud walks up sorry these are my balls and it's like <laughs> they like because they it's, like, it's like golf balls right
3: yeah but golf balls into the uh hot tub
0: but he grabs the wrong balls, and again, I'll just leave it right there. Like I said, very, very risque humor. They're pairing up the Looney Tunesy vibe with some real Ralph Batchkey like kind, of, uh, kind of humor going on here.
3: And you do have to remember this was the sweeps month. February is one of the sweeps months.
0: Oh, that's very true. When so, they yeah. measure,
3: that's when writers usually will have their best stuff, and it's usually in November, February, and May and that's why tv shows save their best stuff for those uh, to air at those uh, particular times um, all right guys it's sweeps month
0: um, amanda ted get, and get naked the guest stars oh and you know what just like i keep bringing up amanda Bierce here and you know ted McGinty's getting to sit there all nice and covered not for long cuz he hops out of that tub and it literally he must be wearing a speedo because that towel is barely covering anything, and I don't see a tint of a bathing suit.
3: I thought it was that. like a, like a newspaper or something. He wrapped something that is barely. Oh, it's the property line map. That was it.
0: Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, it 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 was like almost like beige, but yeah, it was the property map. Because they're like, give me that map. I'm gonna find out something else. This was our first attack on the land. So basically, the Jeffersons won. The Bundys countered by taking over the part of the map that said that the Jeffersons, this little sliver of the Jeffersons' property is theirs. So they're the going to start... Property. The Darcy property. The
3: Jeffersons' was a show back in the 1980s.
0: I know, I know, I know, I know. That, that stupid joke they made about the name, about, about Jefferson, Darcy, Marcy Darcy, Jefferson Darcy. It's just It's fun, but it gets messed up with semantics. Because Jefferson's a... Bundy and Jefferson are the last names there in my mind.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I apologize. Bundy and Darcys
3: are the last name.
0: Yes, I will name check myself as much as I can. All right. So uh, we we this is really great because it sets up what you think is going to be the warring lines, this uh, hot tub area and this
3: uh, fence. What area did Jefferson but... do? He killed Oprah, I, and I love that. Al, they killed Oprah. And then Al says, Now look what you've done to my done to my wife. Do you realize that without cable TV she'll want to talk to me now?
0: Oh yes, because Jeff yeah, Jefferson does what my mom used to do when I wouldn't go to sleep. She he just cut the cable card. She's like, Alright, you can stare at that fuzzy TV all you want, Tyler. Oh, I went to bed.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and then and then they had their own response. What did they do? They cut that uh, phone line or something? And it came down in the water, and
0: yes, Marcy is now dead, as she, well, she should she be. Should be. <laughs> yeah. We need to move into the next scene, which is.
4: Oh, good, our first customer. As you can see. This driveway belongs to us. But we'll be glad to let you use it, won't we, Jefferson?
1: Sure, as long as he pays the toll. How much is it? (laughs)
4: $1,500. Exact change, please.
1: $1,500? Are you crazy? Who are you
4: calling crazy, punk?
1: (laughs) Your wife. (laughs) I don't need the stinking driveway. I'll drive out through my yard.
0: A really great angle shot of the garage that we don't get to see very often. Like this beautiful... Like the garage is dead center. It's like we are at the end of the uh, Bundy's garage uh, driveway, and you see Jefferson marching back and forth like a custom border patrol. And Al backs up, and there's a toll booth crossing. They set up a freaking toll booth, which I'm totally fine with toll booths. They keep our uh, you know our roads good. I'm going to be using them in the next few uh, days to be visiting my family in Connecticut, so. Yay to tolls. But I ain't going to be paying no $1,500. I can tell you that right mm, now.
3: I wouldn't either. <laughs> and I love that. Exact change, please.
0: Uh, we are hearing that now, too, because there's a coin shortage. Ugh. But, yeah, he's like,
3: I'll just drive over
0: my yard. And, well, Al's like, I'm not going to do that. Which, seriously, just back up over it, as I was thinking. But, no, he can't do that. Because they actually installed tire spikes. They are inside... The driveway, like these spikes that could come out of it. They installed this in their I can't imagine how much money all this stuff costs. And it doesn't matter. It's Wiley e. Coyote getting stuff from the Acne store. But now, finally... Which is now Amazon. Which is now, yes. Uh, <laughs> which is now Amazon, true. But now, finally, we get to go to a real guest star. Ladies and gentlemen, the great, the only... What you talking about, Wills?
1: I'll get it.
4: Hi. I'm the building code inspector. Are you the one that
1: called? I am.
4: (laughs) Aren't you? No. Don't even ask, I'm not him. I've never been him. I can't even stand the little creep. (laughs) I understand you wanted to report an illegal driveway.
1: Yes, I did, Inspector. Uh, That one right out there. If you look carefully, you can see that it's built nowhere near code. Uh, I know, because I built it myself out of ground-up women's shoes. Um, How much is the fine?
4: Well, since you turned yourself in, I think I'll let it go at $100.
1: I see. And what if I said I built it that way just to make you look like an idiot?
4: Then that would be (laughs) $1,500.
1: And, uh. What if we called you a moron to boot?
4: $2,000. Are you sure you're not Gary Coleman from Different Strokes? (laughs) No, I am not.
5: Good. I hated that show. $5,000.
1: Uh, don't give it to me. That's not my driveway. Now, see, it belongs to those people right next door. But, uh, they might not let you in because the only black person they respect is Ted Danson. (laughs) What you talking about, Bundy?
4: Oh, hell, now I have to find myself.
0: So, Gary Coleman, since you laid on the Partridge family stuff, I'm going to lay on some Gary Coleman because I recognize Gary Coleman so, so well, Stephen. Basically, Gary Coleman was Married
3: with Children's favorite show to rip
0: on, Different Strokes.
3: No, they ripped on the Facts of Life more than anything.
0: Oh, they ripped on Different Strokes, too, but they ripped on it lovingly. So, yeah, so we, I think we, we talked about this before. Yeah, Facts of Life, someone really freaking hated. And Different Strokes, some, they apparently really liked.
5: Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some.
0: Coleman played the little brother in uh, the Different Strokes television show. There were two African-American children that were adopted by a a white gentleman from the Upper East Side. Kind of a uh, we're moving on up by being adopted kind of process. A weird Jefferson's meets John Carter kind of like thing going on Different Strokes
3: was a regular staple. My brother and I love to watch it. Oh, even I've
0: seen it. it. It's, you know, it's amazing but a lot of people haven't but Gary Coleman definitely made it out of there and he is Gary Coleman appeared in many many different things um he he appears as a voice in the Simpsons playing himself he appeared in American Dad he's appeared in many other uh animated shorts way into the Cartoon Network age from when I was a kid I think he made some guest appearances on Johnny Bravo um Dexter's Laboratory I believe he voiced something on there too I'm not looking up IMBD at the moment because I'm just going through my memory because I remember Gary Coleman's presence popping up throughout my childhood. And I always knew who he was. And by the way, when he says, what you talking about, Willis? He's referring to his older brother on the show, Different Strokes, which became his catchphrase. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he plays a very, he's a great, just bit person to get. He just looks like he always, he looks like he's a lot of fun to work with. And he's just totally fine. He's like, all right, what am I going to play this time? A really? A building inspector? Am I a nice one or a, na- a nasty one? Somewhere in between? Okay, I'll figure it out. And he just goes in there and he does his thing. And I thought he did great. I thought
3: he did, too. i got to say something about Gary Coleman. Please okay. do. Because he was so beloved. I remember other movies with him that I watched. And this thing is, he should have been set for life. When he was on Different Strokes, he was making lots of money. And that money was just going in and going in. The problem was, his parents let the managers and all these other people get into it so much, there wasn't anything left when he turned 18 to look at that money. He had to sue his parents in order to get some of that money back. He had to file for bankruptcy. He had to work for a security guard. He did appear on a court TV show back in 2000 in front of uh, Lane, uh, Mills Lane. I think it was a judge show because a woman filed assault charges against him because he was working as a security guard. And she asked for, a, you know, uh, approached him and requested his autograph while he was shopping for a bulletproof vest. And he didn't want to give her an autograph, and an argument ensued, and he got angry at her and assaulted her, and he eventually, you know, paid her back. But what I'm getting at is, I think it's, you can see his anger. But you there. know
0: what? If you if you are very forcefully approaching someone for an autograph, yeah, and they feel like they can't get away, and we should mention, if, if audience matters, if you don't know what Gary Coleman looks like, he is a
3: is he a little person? Student? Yes, and that's part of it because uh, I think it was related to his thyroid and his kidney. He had two kidney transplants. But what I'm getting at is, after all, you know, he eventually settled and paid for everything and apologized and said he was wrong. He agreed that he lost his temper. And the thing is, I think, to, to a certain degree, he had a right to, to be angry. He should have been set for life. And what's he doing? He's being forced to work as a security guard. And
0: the Simpsons actually showed that very well. And this is what, like I said, like he appears on the Simpsons and the gift of the Magi yeah. where he's, uh, guarding, you know what, we know the episode I'm talking about. He's guarding the toy company and he's doing a great job. Like, hello, Mr. President. Oh, yes. Oh, how did I get to this place? And that's so dark now that I know that, that, he was willing to play this gag, and I hope the Simpsons gave him an outlet to actually, you know, remind fans, hey, you're laughing at me being your silly cartoon, but remember, I was a beloved character to you guys, and this is my real life. Yeah. And uh, But but that shows his professionality, that he's able to do that. So
3: Yes, it does. I think he came to terms with it, but still, I could understand why he would be angry, because when he was 18, he should have been able to retire. Maybe, work, you know, just do guest appearances, and not have to worry about money. Because he, he was a little, little kid
0: on yeah. Facts of Life. Like the, I mean, for different, different strokes. Yeah,
3: you know, he should have been worth at least 10 mil when he got out, maybe even 20. But all these people kept pilfering from this fund that was supposed to go to him when he turned
2: 18.
0: Yeah, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, you bet you're happy that you yeah. didn't get what happened to Coleman, so... Yeah, you got to grow up and kill Heath Ledger. That's great.
3: And I don't know if you remember this or not, but Gary Coleman did run for California governor.
0: Yes, he did. Yeah. I did. I, and <laughs> I love that. a lot that. of other people did, too. You know what? If he had gone something smaller like Sonny Bono did with being a mayor, I bet he could have Maybe. gotten it. Dude, mayor Coleman, I would move to that city in a heartbeat. What are you talking mayor about, Mayor <laughs> what you talking about district attorney like Mayor Gary Coleman that I would be at every single city council meeting ever like just to see him walk up and take his place <laughs> treasured actor he does a really good job in this role and sets the m- motion of he's going to because he's congenial I'm yeah. not only going to give you a hundred dollars we're going to insult the hell out of you and I you know where it's going but he gives the ticket the, the fine that the Bundy should have, but guys, again, this follows real legal things because the survey was done and there's a map to prove it. Yes, the Darcys are responsible for that fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, as goofy as this plot is going, it is following actual real legal crap.
3: Al then says, See, it belongs to those people next door. But they might let you in because the only black person they respect is Ted Danson. Now, back in 1994, Ted Danson, you know, the actor who uh, was the lead character of Sam Malone in uh, Cheers. And he also was Dr. John Becker on Becker. He also played a few other roles. But uh, at one point, he met actress Whoopi Goldberg, whom he described as a sexy, funny woman. And they became friends. Then while making Made in America in 1992... That's a very mediocre movie. They became romantically involved, a pairing that was heavily featured in a lot of tabloids and gossip rags, like the National Enquirer. Anyway, Danson experienced substantial negative press following an October 8, 1993 instance after his appearance in blackface at a Friars Club comedy roast in honor of Goldberg. And in his monologue, Danson made extensive use of racial stereotypes. And even use the n word. So when um, oh. when Al tells that to Gary Coleman, that is a very serious jab at Danson.
0: Yeah, and that's a joke that I don't think that they would use now at all on television because I didn't even know that. Like, and I love Ted Danson. I mean, I love his uh, his work, and that's. I'm not going to say it's upsetting, but it does not make me happy to find out that he did blackface.
3: And using the racial stereotypes for jokes. Okay, that's
0: worse. That, that's at way, way worse. Because, like, the blackface, like, I remember seeing that in All in the Family. Archie Bunker doing a, a blackface, and the whole joke is him saying, Yeah, I came back from a menstrual show. A what? Menstrual show. And the law is laughing because he's saying menstrual when he means minstrel. But I'm just staring at Carol O'Connor, one of the most one of the actors I respect and love more than any other uh, living or dead. And I'm just like, I know you're a product of the time, but
3: oh, it was hard to look at. It just And it's something that I think we all have to grapple with because there are people we admire and sometimes they say or do things. I've got a good friend of mine, and he is a little bigoted and i i love him despite his bigotry and we have people we look up to that have had their moments you some people admire john wayne i admire john wayne but he was really bigoted
0: oh so much so many communists so many people who were not even communist or even identified as that but american citizens had their rights strict-
3: yes and he was also bigoted towards uh native americans as well as black people so but what i'm getting at is to grapple with that and i don't think it makes them any lesser of a hero to look at because we all have our fault everybody has their faults
0: now i truly forgot this next part stephen what they do <laughs> back, but a really good um we start moving into some good special effects here because jefferson walks in apparently the next day oh yeah Totally, almost skipped completely past this, um, Steven, Do the Bundys have their
3: TV back? No, they don't. <laughs> no, no, because they don't. Bud and Kelly are acting out the adventures of the Sea Enemy. It is not my favorite, but definitely in my top ten
0: favorite Kelly and Bud moments.
3: I didn't uh, buy it because the way Bud kept saying, "I got this."
0: It's <laughs> it's so fun like they're just they're just having so much fun like in these are moments when they're standing there the doing the mating habits of sea anemones and they're just like waving around looking like they're dancing to groovy music but moving their hands around like they've got tentacles and stuff it's it just makes me think, it must have been so much fun on that set, yeah. in between takes. Yeah. We're seeing maybe like the last 30 seconds of probably hours of this messing around. And All right, now play MacGyver. No, 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 Kelly, Kelly, you be one of the objects he finds. Huh, yeah, Kels, you're an object. I, there's got to be outtakes. I want to
3: see them. That'd oh. be nice, yeah. And what I find interesting when Gary Coleman comes in, you know, they keep saying, are you that guy from Different Strokes? No, I'm not him. Kelly says, good, because I hated that show. And that fine keeps going up. It starts at $100. Then it goes up to $500. and Or, no, it's $5,000, excuse me. And then they say, don't give it to us. Give it to the owner. What you talking about,
0: Willis? Dang, now
3: I got to find
0: myself, which that is a deep, deep joke, Stephen. I'm so glad you preluded me to say this, but that's true. At one point, his catchphrase, he couldn't appear as... What was his actual name from different stories? Arnold Drummond. He could not appear as Arnold Drummond at like television cons or something like that or showcases to sell his picture because... You're right, he did get screwed out of likeness rights. And a character that he made that was his, he couldn't even profit off of it. There was a catchphrase that that, that was making other people rich of his voice that, in a legal sense, yes, unmarried married with children on a Fox show. Yeah, maybe he could get in trouble. They probably had to pay ABC to... Actually allow him to say his catchphrase.
3: I think that No, I remember it started on NBC and it ended on ABC. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're But,
0: right. yeah, like... Yeah. The, the rights for Gary Coleman to say what you're talking about, Will, is because you know it's a probably a copyrighted line at that time. Well, you see,
3: the thing is, though, he said, what you're talking about, Bundy.
0: Oh, okay, but... Mm, you gotta change at least... Thir- you have to change at least 30% to make it a parody, and I'm not sure if that change in the last name... And the fact that it's Gary Coleman saying it. It's interesting the way you, when you brought up that he got screwed out of his rights. And I'm wondering if, like I said, I think a lot of people in the business just liked Gary Coleman and probably had a lot of sympathy for him and gave him these spots to, you know, remind the world, hey, he's an actual actor. Mm -hmm. Respect him.
3: You know, the thing was, he was actually older than what you would think. Uh, He was about my age. He was just a year younger than me.
0: No, oh, he always looked super young. Yeah, even when he got old, he still looked young. It was
3: part of the young. growth problem that he had, I think, with his thyroid, and it was related to his kidneys. I know he had diabetes, so mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. lack of
0: HGH, I think, too. Yeah. So, Marywood children, round of applause for uh, Gary Coleman. Silent, nice silent back on the back of the, your shoulder, clap for him. He's an awesome guy. Things are going to heat up big time, though. because...
1: Come in, Jefferson! <laughs> yeah, good one, Al. I gotta <laughs> hand it to you. You're a formidable adversary. You've certainly won my respect. <laughs> Does that mean I get the use of my driveway back? Well, we've already taken the toll booth down, and I can promise
4: that you'll never have to worry about that little driveway problem again.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Three, two, one! <laughs>
0: I guess I should have brought some extra earmuffs
1: with me What? (laughs) So long what do he call me?
5: Why
4: would I want any cheese?
0: Comes back in Boom, blowing up the entire driveway and that you see some concrete or fake concrete pieces get thrown into the room like mm-hmm. they're really experimenting with this set and what they can do with physicality and they're going to experiment big time in the next scene
4: i never realized what a turn-on handling heavy explosives could be <laughs> well you came to the right place my
0: pajamas are filled with dynamite <laughs>
4: The Earth is moving for me. Hey, it's moving for me, too.
0: Damn, I'm good.
4: (laughs) You're not this good. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Hello, Fred. Uh, Jefferson Darcy. Say, does your son still have that rocket launcher?
0: (laughs) This is one of my... this, This is my favorite scene in the entire episode. Like, the house is... Is being cranked up, like someone stuck a jack underneath the house and is just cranking it onto an incline. And Jefferson's bed with him on it slides down, and I watched it, Stephen. That is Ted McGinty doing the, that stunt. He gets thrown into a uh, dresser, and you hear like wood smash. Now, I get it; it's all pre- it, this is a TV thing, and I don't normally see that. That's usually something that happens. Off the side of the screen with a lot of sound effects, but he was—he allowed himself to get thrown right into a breakaway dress. What killed
3: me with this whole scene? What I thought was hilarious—the house is being jacked up. She says, "Jefferson, the earth is moving for me," and he says, "Hey, it's moving for me too. Damn, I'm good. You're not this good." <laughs> and then they see Al—he's jacking up the house. <laughs>
0: That should have been one of our lines at the beginning of the episode. And I'm Tyler, and the Earth is moving for me. (laughs) Oh, we missed out on that one. Well, it's
3: all right. It's all right. Then Jefferson is so calm, cool, and collected. You know, he he does tip his hat to Al. He said, Al, that was a good one. And then he picks up the phone. Hello, Fred. Jefferson Darcy. Does your son still have have that rocket launcher?
0: (laughs) Cut to the first cgi ever in merrywood children i think so i think so i think it's cgi guys this might be the clip art of the episode is the bundy's house the uh, the picture which is literally just the still shot of the bundy's uh, house that we see all the time superimposed with like a rotoscoped image of the house getting exploded <laughs> but, but the whole part of the roof getting blown up by a rocket launcher. It's really... It's adorable. I'm just thinking of Thanos getting his head chopped off and that. And back then, this was what we could do. <laughs> but um, I gotta ask, though, just from a practical point of view, do you think, in real life, they were jacking up the, a platform that the bedroom set was on? I,
3: I think they did, because everything did fall down in that direction
0: that's what i was thinking because the way marcy stumbles to the window i'm like first i'm like okay that's pretty good acting on amanda beers's part to show they're actually on incline and you're right and then that bed slides and i'm like oh they must have jacked the entire set up oh my god you have no idea how much money i would pay to have a button that i could click to have it zoom out and see what they're doing to make that that scene work. It's very creative. Somebody with the director is like, Director, we gotta speed this up, because we didn't really write a good ending to this. They're like, oh crap, you're right, we don't have an ending. What happens after the house blows up? It just as
3: Bundy's sitting there sulking.
0: The episode ends in a very weird way.
3: Well, but I want to point out, Jefferson is the first one to kind of reach out. He says, Al, you're doing a lot of thinking. I've decided to apologize. Even Marcy interjects and says she wants to apologize, too. They think friendship is more than important than material things. Peg says, I want to be friends, too. Al, Al says, we're married, Peg. We can't be friends. (laughs) (laughs) They mention ISIS being blown up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's rubber parts everywhere. I mean, this is good writing. This is great writing here. It's, it's just rushed
0: to hell.
3: It was. I will agree it was rushed, but I still liked the fact that they uh, put some thought into some of this, into this dialogue that wraps it up at the end. And then we get... You're right.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, Stephen, but yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, Stephen, because like, I agree with you. There is. This is, this is really really good writing and my only qualm about the laziness is that it seems like a whole lot of stuff was just cut right out of the episode like they had a lot more things to do that would build up to this statement you'd think they would have went a little further like there should be nothing left of either of their homes (laughs) they should be living in
3: tents (laughs) then Al gives his little famous speech at the end
1: Well, there's probably a lesson to be learned from all this, but I'll be damned if I know what it is. (laughs) Hey, Al. uh, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and I've
4: decided to apologize. We both want to. Friendship is much more important than material things. Oh, you're right, Marcy. I want to be friends, too. Al.
1: We're married, Peg. We can't be friends. (laughs) I I think she meant with the Darcy's dad. Oh. Well, I guess it's all right to try to mend our friendship.
4: Dad, they blew out the wall of our house. And Bud's room is a mess. There's rubber body parts everywhere.
1: I know, Pumpkin. But all the more reason we should extend the hand of forgiveness. First of all, our other neighbors will hear of this grand gesture and be pleased. Then other communities will come to see the Darcy's. And the Bundys, living side by side in peace. Then whole cities will take note.
5: <laughs> then countries,
1: and who knows? Maybe someday, in a universe far away, <laughs> it's,
0: it's on, on my
5: side. My it's board. Board. it's
0: <laughs> So the episode kind of ends where it began, with two idiots fighting over an apple and does this actually imply that they've been fighting so long that that tree was able to grow
3: more apples well they were probably budding at the time and it probably just grew during the little wars they were having somehow it survived i guess but uh, fruit
0: doesn't grow quickly so i'm just saying they've been at this for a while yeah yeah so that's pretty much it for how green was my apple it's time for no man to
4: take a little break in the jiggly room. I'm the DJ, and I'm gonna play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry with Children.
5: Hello world, hear a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy.
0: Mike that you had an interesting uh, theory about this episode and you wouldn't tell me about it and I'm all abuzz with that with excitement so please regale us with your theory
3: okay i like to remind everybody I've said this before I was a Methodist minister in chapel before I got into education and when I was watching this episode you know for this podcast the first time I suddenly saw it in a brand new light because what started this whole conflict? An apple. This is the fruit that's thought to be eaten by Eve in the Garden of Eden that puts sin into the world. Now the Genesis story, I, I'm not gonna say the Genesis story is not literal. It's a myth, okay? It's not a historical event. It explains the states of humanity trapped in sin and selfishness. And the fruit is never specified as an apple. That idea didn't come around until about the Renaissance time when literature and art was being done on the biblical stories. But you see, in the creation story, after Eve eats the fruit, she gets Adam to do the same, and God confronts them. Both try to level blame elsewhere. Eve blames the serpent, while Adam blames Eve and even God. Eve said, it was the woman you gave me. And then the two are banned from Eden, and there is more punishment for this mistake. Much of it is rooted in enmity or conflict between nature and humanity, men and women, and our neighbors. Our egos, our pride prevents us from admitting any kind of guilt and taking any responsibility. And that allows us to continue in this selfishness and sin. And if there is anything that marriage with children has been consistent about from its beginning until its end is the human condition of sinful selfishness, fear, and greed which is how most human beings operate. Now, of course, it's done in hyperbole in Mary Children, but we can see this in many ways. Al hates Peg. Peg thinks only of herself. Al hates Marcy. Marcy hating Al and Steve hating everyone. This is revealed perfectly in this with this allegorical apple. How green was my apple? That was its title. I thought another episode, Route 666, Part 2, they kind of showed it too. When everybody got gold fever and they were trying to think about offing each other. This sin affects all aspects of their relationships when their self-interest interferes with success. Think about, we talked about Alan Pegg stealing Bud's grant money for him to go to college. Bud took pictures of Kelly when um, she was with the city councilman and that ruins his political career and it also ruined Al's meter made Shoe account and there are countless others I'm sure we can all think of it
0: Peg steals every
3: cent yeah. Al
0: have or gets his hands on yeah. constantly keeping the war going
3: and then on top of that their own greed overshadows common sense uh, as Psychic Avengers Jefferson wanted to get out of that early he thinks they were staying in it too long and Al got too greedy and they're turned into chimps and I think this whole episode is evident when out with Al's line, I'm sure there is a lesson to learn from this, but damned if I know what it is. Yeah, they went into hostilities, but not for the greater good of love. You know, Al's speech reveals they just went in their own misery and saved their own egos. And he naively assumes that this example will be the inspiration for the world peace between cities, states, and nations. Now, what ends this lofty aspiration? Another apple. And Al and Jefferson are at it again. And I don't know if you notice this or not, but this final still shot was continuous for the uh, end credits. I it's did, the same I saw still that. shot of Al and Jefferson fighting. I sometimes wonder why the writers chose an apple for this story. Hmm.
0: Well, I personally think they chose an apple because... When it comes to titles, they're lazy as hell. And I think they come up with the titles first and write the episodes around them. But, uh, no, they're probably smarter than that. And, Stephen, we have a new rule now. In the future, when you have awesome ideas like that, you share with me before we record. Uh, Listeners, I'm hearing this for the first time as well. And if someone's mind out there is blown... Mine's smoking right now because you got me thinking about things, Stephen. You're right. The uh, whole uh, like I'm not a I was I've never been a uh, minister, but I have studied a lot of religious history and uh, re- mythology and um, scriptures and stories of different cultures and the. Apple, the forbidden fruit story, is a timeless one, and you're right. It is a sense of man's, a human's relationship to nature, and when uh, that relationship is saturated, it causes negativity and the, you know, the, the continued destruction, a continued path of destruction that can go on for generations and generations. Yes. And you're right. They at the beginning, this whole battle over property over who owns what part of the land where this arrogance comes from that we have any kind of entitlement to say this plot of land this many feet belongs to me and not you and anything that comes out of it is mine when no that those that tr- that's a tree. That's not, you didn't make that tree. That tree is just there. Yeah. And the fruit that comes off of it, I guess, belongs to me. And there are law books right now stating yeah, well, that, you bought the tree. The tree was apparently dead from the guy, and the guy said he wants the apples now because you helped nursed that tree or it came back to life or whatever, and now it bears fruit. Well, that even though that tree was technically his family's, you bought it that property and now that fruit any fruit it bears is yours and that kind of statements can cause you know fighting in courts or in more comedic kind of looks at married with children worrying families and you're right the writers were kicking around a lot of heavy dense themes
3: and i'm not trying to impose my religion on any podcasters i just noticed that and it just struck me as, hmm, I wonder if they're actually thinking of anything like this. Because, yeah, I mean, maybe on a subconscious level, I mean, I don't know. I'm not one of the writers, but, uh, you know, and that's something that not just Christianity and Judaism and even uh, and you know, some of the other world religions, Islam and uh, Hinduism, and even philosophies, you know, like the ph- philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche looking at looking at the own abyss in ourselves, Be careful you don't become a monster when fighting.
0: Well, I can be pretty certain the uh, the uh, writers were not thinking, now do you think the audience is going to understand the connection between Nietzsche and the idea uh, of the, uh, the super ubermensch and, uh, and the battle between nature and evil? Nah, but I'm sure they know yeah. about the Adam and Eve story. Because
3: you got to remember, uh, supposedly... You know they—they didn't mention we're going to celebrate Adam and Eve style, so, you know Jefferson and Darcy.
0: Oh yeah, they call it out in the episode. That's what I was going to say. Uh, what you said it should not bother anybody listening, even if, it, like, it feels like you're, you know, throwing out Christian beliefs, which it's not. This is a old, ancient type of story that goes way further than that, and it pops up in so much of our literature and film. Uh, it is the basis between the, you know. Con- Conflictions between the sexes The relationship between men and women And men and men and women and women And humanity and nature Brother it's, and uh, sister Like the, the writers knew what they were talking. Brother and brother, yeah, Cain and Abel That came after that The first two that killed each other Where Al and Jefferson might actually look Like you could see them playing in a Cain and Abel role Where I remember reading the Cain and Abel story As a little kid and thinking That seems so pitiful. You liked his drawing more than my drawing, so I'm gonna kill you. Well, I never wanted to kill my brother, but I did hate him when he was praised because he was better at sports than I was. So yeah, like, those ratings could connect with me as a seven-year-old. So, and they can have philosophers talking about it for a thousand years. So that's fascinating stuff. But, so yeah, yeah, the, Stephen, really, really good reading. That's a great way to end this Looney tunes kind of show.
2: No, ma'am, we'll be right
5: back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page
0: for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up
4: Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at MarriedWChildrenPodcast at gmail.com.
2: Thanks for checking out this review.
0: Okay, how many partridges in a pair? How many partridges are you going to go home uh, with
3: today? Four partridges, and that would include Laurie. Okay. (laughs) Um, Like I said, once I saw it in a new light, I kind of liked it more. I thought, you know, originally I was probably going to give it a three to a three and a half. I liked the Looney Tunes. I thought the writing was good. I would agree that the ending was rushed a bit, but overall, I really enjoyed it. It's a good laugh out loud episode.
0: Well, well, you know what? My review is going to echo yours, but I'm sticking with Coleman's, and I'm going to go home with four little Gary Coldman's. What are you
3: talking about, Tyler? And originally
0: I said the same thing. I was...
3: <laughs> no, not.
0: You know what? That's going to be a $100 fine, and that's because I like you. <laughs> Keep it up, and it'll be more. But, no, I, I agree with you. Um, originally I was thinking about three whatever's at the beginning of the podcast we were talking about that i was like i was thinking three two but after talking about it with you and going through these you know mismatched uh, adventures it did seem disjointed when i was just watching it but after thinking about all the connections that were made the continuity with farmer iggy's almanac the uh just the jeffersons i mean the the i did it again just the show of the darcy's versus the bundy's or specifically, Al versus Jefferson. Because we like to think Marcy and Jefferson battle Al and Peggy. And true, the wives support their husbands. Peggy's all about... And Marcy calls her out in it. We forgot to bring that up. Like, I expected this from a Neanderthal husband. But you, you're a fellow woman. She's like, eh, well, I like TV. And, you know... It, Basically, you're backing your idiot husband. I got to back my idiot husband, which, again, Stephen, we could have gone deeper into that kind of history of patriarchal animosity between heads of states or things where we all kind of agree now
3: as historians. Oh, yeah. And there were some good women leaders like Catherine the Great, but, uh, yeah, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh uh-huh, Susan B. Anthony.
0: Uh, Jane... Jane Adams. Wait, is it Jay? it was Jane Adams, the first first lady?
3: Well, no, Martha Washington was the first first lady.
0: Oh, well, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. John Adams' wife was the first one to actually give that title, a title, you know, her position a title. Uh, yes, I am not just the wife of the president. I am the first lady and I have a responsibility to this country to support, not just support my husband, but call him out when he's wrong and she did. Like, she backed his things, but also pushed her own agenda. And there's a lot of Peggy and Marcy, you know, they, they're they there. They're there to... Mm-hmm. They're, do, they're playing their roles. The kids are doing absolutely nothing, which is perfect.
3: Yeah, I thought that was a little weakness, too, is that they were kind of background and really didn't have it too much to do. But overall, though, I, I stick by my four.
0: I'm thinking from the mindset of one of the writers going, we need we want the kids to do something. The problem is this is family versus family. We've got Peggy matching with Marcy, Al matching with Jefferson. The, the Darcy's don't have kids, though. So we can't we don't really have anyone for them to bounce off of. So I, but I did like what they were doing with the TV and stuff. I think that those TV jokes were literally there to give them agency and to have some kind of placency in the show. And they become Oh, it's even deeper. Just like Al owns the tree, he's using his children as appliances and, like, entertainment systems. This is all about ownership of things that really technically you don't own. You're right. Yeah. You own your house, but don't really own your land, even though the law says you technically do.
3: Uh, When I was a senior in high school, we read a, a short story in one of our literature books. It always stuck with me. How much it was called, "How much land does a man need, and this guy was very wealthy, and he just kept bragging about how much land he owned and there was a poor man who lived not too far and he didn't own any land in the end, you find out how much land each man needs, about six feet by. Six
0: feet, four by two feet or something like that. Yeah, they're like probably laying right next to each other in a cemetery, each with the same amount. And you know what? I'll throw out something that was inspirational to me. Way more juvenile, but the movie Pocahontas, which we're not even going to go down how how much that whitewashes uh, yeah. a lot of uh, Native American stuff. But there's a great line in uh, one of the songs where, it's, uh, where she's singing about the colors of the wind and everything, but it's like, you wish to own the earth until you realize, and she picks up a bunch of it, that all you own is earth. It just dumps it in his hand, and he just and it filters through his fingers, and it's like, yeah. there's nothing in his hand. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, you own it, but it's, what do you own at the end of the day? This gravel, this, this dirt, it's just dirt, that's what you own. And it's a powerful message. No, you don't own it. It owns you. You're allowed to be on it for a small bit of time. Enjoy it. And I don't know. That's that's a powerful image. Then you know. Maybe we're probably putting more ideas than the writers expected, but yeah, they have smart writers. You know, the, these writers went to college, and I think they, you, there's an art to writing this kind of, kind of humor in television, and I think we're. We're given
3: credence where it's needed.
1: All right, I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot (laughs) in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there.
2: And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds-acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, ladies and
3: gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards.
2: How green was my apple? Well, it wasn't, and that was the problem. Wow, man. Jefferson directly challenging Al. After, they bonded. Well, it can't be all sunshine and rainbows all the time, even amongst friends, right? Danny Bonaducci. Gary Coleman. I don't know, I'm not sure which one of those guys are a bigger lunatic, but uh, R.I.P. Gary. Bundiana. Wow. Annabelle would like that name. Al takes over the barbecue. Bud fondles Jefferson's balls. I mean, are we gonna really gloss over that? Can we have a whole show dedicated to how or why he reached there for these things? Marcy gets electrocuted by a phone line? Um, yeah, I'm just gonna make believe I don't work in the, uh, electric power business. What you talking about, Bundy? <clears throat> this whole episode where we're cutting holes in fences, blowing up driveways, putting up a toll gate, This is exactly the type of humor I was talking about a year or so ago that we were going to get to. The whole cartoon mode of Married with Children that we, I guess, you know, we've witnessed it a little bit, but I remember the biggest episode was Wabbit Season. That was when it was full-blown cartoon, like, with, you know, no hiding it at all. And I gotta say, you know, it just takes time for things to simmer And to get to a point where it's okay this way. And I think that that's where this show is at at this point. I don't think anybody is looking for or needs any more grounded reality. They're doing it really well. You know, if you're going to do it, you better have a good idea of what you're doing and why you're doing it. I mean, if you're going to leave reality this this far, there better be a payoff. And there is. I mean, everything. You know, even the no-man taking over Jerry Springer. I mean... It's all cartoon at this point, but, you know, some are more prominent than others, and this is definitely one of them, absolutely to the max, and I'm okay with it. I really like it, and I'm okay with where we are in the show, and, um, you know, they don't have to be groundbreaking episodes anymore, but, man, I've really enjoyed a lot of the ones that people kind of have just been glossing over and stuff and don't really pay much um, praise to, like, lifting the side of the house. That is the ultimate but it pays off in just the idea of it and Jefferson sliding into his dresser on his bed and smashing it. I mean, and then blowing up the side of the <laughs> out. Ah, you gotta love this stuff. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous, but all strong material. It doesn't have to be a real life joke to be a good joke. And I give this episode a 4.5 out of 5. That's how much I really enjoyed myself. Have a happy new year, guys.
0: That's Al, folks! That pretty much does it for How Green Was My Apple. Next week, Married with Children listeners, you are going to be hearing Luigi and our good friend Chris Gunther and possibly a guest star still in the works as of yet, but they're going to be reviewing the Season 8, Episode 17, Valentine's Day Massacre, one of my personal favorites and I'm really excited to hear but as for me and Steven
3: we're going to show up again on season 8 episode 20 on the Darcy Files so until then i hope i can figure out what that lesson was up we're supposed to learn from with math.
0: and i will be reading iggy's almanac for all the best tips on how to raise your corn and bury your wife <laughs>